Good day, all. Welcome to a new episode of Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to teach you Bible truth, help you grow in faith, and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Now, I want you to remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. day everyone. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in today. This tells me you are interested in the truth about Jesus, who he is, why he came, and what he has done so that you and I can spend eternity with the true and living God when our earthly lives end. We are getting ready to embark on more detail about who Jesus is, why he came, and sure enough, what he did for you and me. Part two is entitled Propitiation Through Faith. For those of you who don't know, I am still reading and teaching from the traditional King James Bible throughout this entire series, unless I indicate otherwise. So with that said, let's get this truth started. Now let's go to our foundational scripture, which is found in the book of Romans chapter three verses 23 through 27. Now for, for the sake of time, I will commence the reading. You can pause the tape, find the scriptures and then resume. Okay. Now I am reading for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him, which believeth in Jesus, where is boasting then it is excluded by what law of works, nay, meaning no, but by the law of faith that was Romans chapter three, verses 23 through 27. Now, some have called this portion of our text, the Acropolis of the Christian faith. The Acropolis was a magnificent building on the outskirts of uh, Athens, Greece, which in 2007 was lauded the preeminent monument on the European culture heritage list of monuments. Now, personally, I would tend not to use this expression to describe this passage of scripture. While the Acropolis is a man-made structure and certainly exalts the achievement of man, Romans 3, 23, 27 is not man-made, but it is God-breathed, okay? It is the very word of God and transcends any work or imagination of man. Now, Romans 1, 17 has been called the key verse of this letter to the Christians at Rome. And it says this, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Therefore, as Romans 1 17 is the key to this epistle, Romans 3 23 27 is most certainly the door the key unlocks. Now from Romans 1:18 and chapter 3 verse 20, 
the reading believer stands outside the house, a miserable sinner. Outside the door, his utter corruption and total depravity must be made known to him in the previous 64 verses. Now, many have attempted to enter another way. Yet if a soul has tread along the path that takes him straight through the corridors of Romans 117 and uh, Romans chapter 322, if the grace and mercy of God shines upon that wrenched sinner, his sin should be revealed to such an overwhelming extent that there should be no doubt he cannot enter except if the almighty and heavenly power inserts the key. Unless gracious power unlocks the door, unless merciful power opens it wide, except the nail pierced hand of forgiveness draws him in. There is no way that he could even dare cross the threshold for all that awaits him. In fact, no way that he would even enter through to receive the treasures of heaven and glorious truths that abide beyond that door. It is through this door one must pass in order to enter into eternal life. In one way, it may be here that the Lord's cryptic words become especially insightful. This is Jesus talking in John 10, 9, saying, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. P-A-S-T-U-R-E, meaning good living and abundant life. Okay. Now the door of this passage is the, the small gate. Jesus Christ is that door, the small gate and his cross, his propitiation is eternal treasure. Now Romans 3.21, let's take a look at that. Roman 3.21 says this, and don't forget to write down these scriptures so that you can study them later. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now the apostle since Romans 3.10.20 has just recited scripture after scripture from the Old Testament. Psalms 5.10.14.36.140 and Isaiah 59. To absolutely prove that every man, woman, and child since the fall of Adam are condemned in the sight of a holy and just God. Therefore, he writes, but now. This Greek phrase is an expression used by the apostle five times in the epistle. But now, emphasizing that he is speaking of the present time, not the past. But now emphasizing a transition that is currently taking place. But now, alerting us to the emphasis God is placing upon the truth that immediately follows these words. The righteousness of God is manifested. Now, this is not just revealed supernaturally from faith to faith, Romans 1, 7, but declared apparently and set forth visibly. How, you may say? It is made apparent through the person of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. This manifestation was apparent and visible by Christ's sinless, 
holy life, fulfilling the law of Moses, both actively and passively, ever obedient to the will of the heavenly father and ever pleasing to his father's delight. Now God's righteousness, his justiceness, was also openly displayed in the very presentation of the crucified Lord. That is, when God's son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, hung upon a tree of wood as the substitutionary atoning sacrifice in order that holy justice may be revealed from faith to faith. And also that holy wrath and judgment may be revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now the power of God's righteousness was also manifest in the resurrection of Christ bodily from the dead after three days and nights in the tomb. The perfection of God's righteousness was also manifest in Christ's ascension to the right hand of God on high and in the sending and, and, and in sending the, the promised Holy Spirit as the pledge of his promise to return. Now, to sum it up, God's righteousness was openly displayed and manifested in the, per, the person of Christ, the presentation at the cross, the power of Christ's resurrection, and the perfection in Christ's ascension. Now, without the law, or apart from the law. It is a clause within this verse that should uh, arrest our or prompt our attention. Okay. How are we to understand this? This is some spiritual stuff. The carnal mind can't get this. Okay. This is why it's important that we need that Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law completely as, as mentioned a, a moment ago. So we could not say that the righteousness of God is made apparent apart from the law, apart from Holy Scripture. Therefore, this indicates that God's righteousness was openly displayed and made manifest apart from sinful man's obedience to the law, which is the general theme and thought behind the last three chapters of Romans 20. Uh, what? Uh, let's see. Of Romans chapter three. Now, I want to take you through uh, Romans twenty-three, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven, step by step, so that we can get this. Okay, let's look at being witnessed by the law and the and the prophets. Now, this further explains that God's righteousness is now made manifest because that was the testimony of the Old Testament scriptures. That the manifestation of God's righteousness would come from God, by God, and through God, for his own name's sake, and not because sinful man obeyed his commandments. Because they couldn't. No one could keep the law. Jesus was the only one to do it. And that was one of the reasons he was sent here. So that he can keep the entire law. Okay? Now let's look at Romans 3:22 a little closer. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all, all them that believe that for there is no difference. Now the righteousness of men must come by the righteousness of God explained in, in Romans 3:21. 
and that it must come by faith. That is unto all those who believe. Now, who are the all of belief? That would be to those with whom God makes no distinction of all believing Jews and all believing Gentiles, Gentiles and Greek is the same thing. Anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile or a Greek. Now, for there is no difference. Romans 3.21 says, why does God make no distinction between these two groups? Now, we are told in the next verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, for all have sinned means that apart from Christ, we can do nothing good nothing holy, nothing decent, nothing honorable, and nothing righteous whatsoever. Apart from Christ, everything we do have or have done in the past and ever will do is vile and wicked before a holy God. Apart from Christ, everything we are, were, and ever will be is vile and wicked before God. And come short of the, of, of God's glory. What does that mean? Means that you and I are devoid, utterly lacking, completely destitute and absolutely inferior of any heavenly value whatsoever. Apart from Christ, we are so wretched and destitute that we are not only unworthy of being redeemed, but we are also unworthy of a moment of God's time to consider redeeming us. Apart from Christ, we cannot even approach to glorify God in the manner worthy of almighty holiness. Mm -mm. No, we cannot. You need to understand who Jesus is, why he came and what he did for us. Now let's look at Romans 3:24 a little closer. Being justified freely by his grace, through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, when we think about the cross, let us not corrupt the holy work of God in it by trying to close our eyes and, and imagine the nails, the thorns, the beatings, and so forth. Saints, you and I cannot imagine the holiness of God's infinitely glorious work on that cross. Every movie that has attempted to capture what was going on on the cross will always fail because the truth of the cross can only be revealed by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. First, let's take a look at some of the key words in this verse. Justified. Justified means to be declared legally righteous or legally right. Okay. Freely, freely may also be translated gift, but means undeservedly. Grace means favor or free gift. Redemption is a compound of two Greek words, apo, opio, meaning cast away or cast off, and lutron, meaning redemption or ransom price. This Greek word would seem to present the, the, the God of Jesus, Jesus statement from the cross. When he said it is finished, 
in John 1930, excuse me. It is finished is translated from the Greek word tetelestia. Tetelestia is T-E-T-E-L-A-S-T-A-I, which means paid in full. Now, because of the, the villainy and, and wretchedness of our sin and rebellion against a holy God, we owe a debt that we cannot possibly pay. Therefore, Jesus Christ pays the penalty himself with himself. Now, my paraphrase of this verse would sound like this. Being declared legally righteous, and although we are undeserving of it, God cast the ransom price off of us as his free gift because the redemption price was channeled through and paid by Jesus Christ. Hmm. Doesn't that sound better? After you give the meaning of the Greek word and what God uh, and Jesus actually did on that cross. Now let's look at Romans 3.25. Whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the, for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now, the very first word that jumps out at us from this text is the word propitiation. Propitiation is the act of appeasing wrath and winning the favor of an offended person. Now, propitiation is the Greek word helisterion. It is H-I-L-A-S-T-E-E-R-I-O-N is perhaps the most important word in the Bible. It is the word that is also translated mercy seat in the Hebrew, in, in Hebrew 9, 5. And, and, over, uh, and over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, the word particularly just means uh, to a higher degree. Okay. Now, the word in Greek, and I cannot pronounce this word. I'm going to have to uh, spell it and give you the meaning of it. I know the meaning of all of them, but some of these words are challenging. You should have seen me when I was studying. I'm like, oh, my goodness. H-A-K-A-P-H-O-R-E-T is what has been translated mercy seat in the old testament and literally and it, it literally means the lid or the the covering exodus gives instructions as to how the mercy seat was to be constructed the mercy seat was its own distinct furnishing within the tabernacle and set upon the ark of the testament of the uh, testimony in number 789 it tells us that it was from the mercy seat between the two golden cherubim. These words from the Old Testament, boy, I tell you. Uh, uh, cherubim is a lion or a bull with, with eagle wings and, and a human face. Yeah, it's said on each side of the mercy seat that the voice of God spoke to Moses. Now, we get our most significant insight into the mercy seat from Leviticus 16 and Hebrews 9. These chapters provide for us the insights into another feast of the Lord, uh, Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur means a skull cap worn by Orthodox male Jews. Now, the Day of Atonement 
in this, this, this fall feast, this one day that is appointed to atone for all the sins of Israel back then in, in, in the old Testament before Christ came, the high priest performs all the sacrifices and enters into the holiest of holies by himself. He sprinkles the blood of the animal on the mercy seat by the commandment of God to bring mercy upon the people for their sins. Now in this holiest of, of, of places, the high priest becomes the mediator for the people. Now this is a prophetic foreshadow of Jesus, our mediator and intercessor. And first Timothy two, five says this for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now Jesus Christ by the righteous sacrifice of himself enters into heaven, the holiest of all places, sprinkling his blood, upon the true seat of mercy, the very throne of God, Christ representing redeemed souls before his heavenly father makes intercession for the people to his heavenly father. Hebrews seven twenty five. write that down so you can read that. God will no longer accept animal sacrifices. When Christ died on the cross, that was it. The only blood that God accepts is from Christ Jesus the blood that he shed on Calvary. Now the sins of believers, those saved by grace through faith, were not atoned because the Jews and Romans brutalized and tortured the Lamb of God. The total disfigurement of the Son of God before he went to the cross was the evidence that sinful man utterly hates God. Now believe it or not, though some of those Pharisees and Sadducees, they knew who Jesus was. They hated God because they wanted to choose their traditions over the laws of Moses. And that means the laws of God. They knew who, who Jesus was. Some of them did, but some of them didn't. They didn't, they didn't know. They professed to know, to know God, but they really didn't know him. But the ones that did, they hated God so much. This is why they brutalized our Lord and Savior. My Lord. Mm. I can't allow myself to focus on that part because I'll start crying. When you think about what Jesus did for you so that you can spend eternity with God, if you don't get full, I don't know if you have the, the love of God in you. Now, the sacrifice for our sins that provides us forgiveness was made by God at Calvary when in his holy justice, he poured out his righteous anger upon his only son. For the sins of all the redeemed were imputed to Christ, according to scripture. Now, Jesus became the curse for us, as it is written in Galatians 3.13. Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, there are three more very important things revealed to us in Romans 3.25. Excuse me. Remission, sins that are past. Those three. Remission, sins that are past. Now, remission means a passing over. Letting pass or disregarding. Now, sins means sins or damnation just as it is used here. 
in uh, Mark 3, 28, 29, it says, Verily I say unto you, and verily means of a truth. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith so, so ever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost or either Holy Spirit had never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, that are past means past or already or previously transpired. Now, the display of God's righteousness through the crucifixion of Christ was so powerful, so effective and so sufficient that all the sins that have transpired in the past among Old Testament saints looking forward to God's promise of sending a Messiah are forgiven by God who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Acts 14, 16 and Acts 17, 30 and 31 says this and the times of this in the times no, it says, and I'm sorry, I'll be mistaking my new King James for the uh, traditional King James. I, I tell you, I should have studied and, and taught this lesson from the new King James. But Acts 17, 30, 31 states, and the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent because he had appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he had ordained talking about Jesus, whereof he had given assurance unto all men in that he had raised him from the dead. Now, if God's forbearance for sins committed by mankind from Adam until the crucifixion of Christ have been justified, vindicated at the cross of Calvary because through faith in Jesus Christ, God has forgiven them through the, through the remission of sins. Then it is most certainly powerful enough to forgive the transgressions of those of us who exist after the crucifixion of Christ. Amen. Amen. Now let's look at Romans uh, 3 chapter 26. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Christ. Now the entire heavenly host sees the holiness of God every single moment, if permitted to say it in, in such a way for the dwell in eternity. Now all the angels know God's holy justice and holy righteousness. They declare God's threefold holiness around his throne in Isaiah 6, 3, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is why when angels see the grace of God bestowed upon mankind, they examine it with utter awe and amazement as it is written. In 1 Peter 1, 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, meaning Holy Spirit, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look unto. Mm, 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 to look into, I'm sorry. Now in the cross, 
God is just and righteous in pouring out his holy wrath upon a man for sin as a substitute. And the man was Jesus of Nazareth, God incarnate, who did not regard his becoming a man something that would rob the deity of God, all the glory due him as God. Read Philippians 2.6. He was a righteous man, a sinless man, and fulfilled all the righteousness to bring the ultimate sacrifice to the heavenly father for God's ultimate glory. This Jesus did willingly, lovingly, and obediently read Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Now, therefore in the cross, God is the justifier of sinners who have been saved by faith in the only work the father finds acceptable the sacrifice of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on Calvary's tree. Now God could have wiped out all sin beginning with Satan without any explanation whatsoever. And all of creation would have said, amen. Yet God who had disregarded the sins that had gone on from Adam until the cross was just in his holy and righteous work upon the cross, and therefore the justifier of all those to whom he would show mercy. Because of the cross, because of the cross, that's why we have mercy. That's why we have grace, because of the cross. Yet having done this incredible thing, because God is good, and he is absolutely good in his holiness, he sets out to explain what he has done so that all of his creation will see his glory. This is what the whole Bible is about. God explaining what he has done upon the tree at Calvary in his only son, whose name is Jesus. Now let's look at Romans chapter three, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works, Nay, meaning no, but by the law of faith. There is not a man, woman, or child that is ever or that it that that is or or ever was or ever will be able to boast in anything apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Can't do it. God didn't send his son from heaven to die on that cross for nothing. Any nice thing, good work, or righteous act that is not performed as a result of faith in Jesus Christ is sin. Romans 14, 23 says this, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And again, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Write that down. So where's boasting then? It is, I say, in the amazing grace found in the cross of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. But God forbid that I should glory, save in, the, save in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Galatians 6, 14. And I want to read that one more time. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Galatians 6.14, saints, read that. Now, let's look at Acts 2.37. Straying away from Romans right quick, our foundational scripture. So Acts 2.37 says this. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, salvation is by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit performed by him with a greater miracle than the creation of the universe in that God is creating a new life in you from a corrupt and wicked life. Whereas when he created the heavens and the earth, he created it from nothing. Therefore, the Holy Spirit awakens to the dead soul the ability to respond to the words that you've just read as it is written. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, according to one of my favorite theologians, uh, I'm not going to say his name because I don't promote people on my podcast. I promote the word of God. If I say their name, I'm, that means I'm going to play their teachings and I'm not going to play his teaching, but he is one of my favorite theologians. And he says that faith is composed of, of three things, knowledge, belief, and trust. Now we know faith comes by hearing. We also know that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So I agree with him on this one. Now you have knowledge of certain truths that have come from the Bible, the word of God, yet knowledge alone is not saving faith. These gospel truths have been presented to countless people, millions of people, yet have been rejected by millions of people as nonsense. Oh, yes, we have some people. You know why? Because the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. You must be born again. See, God's wisdom is foolishness to man. Now, they have as much knowledge as you and I. Uh, concerning the truth of Jesus Christ, yet they disregard this information as untrue. The Bible says this about them in Romans 1, 21 and 22. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise they became fools. Mm. Knowledge of this truth and belief in it does not constitute saving faith either. It is more than a mere mental assent to this knowledge. The Bible says in James 2.19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now Satan and his, and his angels are not only aware of the knowledge of God, they believe that he exists as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet that knowledge and belief is not the faith that saves a soul by God's grace. Saving faith requires the third element, trust. Absolutely. Trust is responding appropriately to the belief in that knowledge. This trust is accomplished supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to regenerate 
the soul and make him or her alive when once they were dead in sin. As it is written, even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. Ephesians 2.5. You guys should have known where I was headed, headed with that one. Now in faith, therefore, the result of that life that has been saved by the free gift of a suborn God through the cross of Jesus Christ, grace, is a life that lives righteously because of the reality of what God has done in that soul, as it is written in 1 Peter 2.24, who had who his own self bear our our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed therefore the result of the saved life will be evidenced by but not limited to to these things a growing resemblance to the life of Christ in sanctification. 1 John 1, 7. I'm getting ready to call out some scriptures here, people, that I studied and I want you to write down and read. I'm not going to read them, but I want you to write them down so you can read them later. Repentance of sins as the illumination of his light reveals them. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. A love for God's word. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Abiding in the Holy Spirit-led life, 1 John 2, 6. Exhibiting a sacrificial love for fellow believers, 1 John 2, 9 through 11. A hatred for the things of this world and hatred for the lust of the flesh because those things are at enmity with the Father. 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And a love for and for and discernment of the truth. 1 John 2 verses 20 through 21. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, um, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now, I know I uh, talk about this a lot on my podcast, that a lot of people may be at the church, but they are not in the church. They are not in Christ. And when Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, some of them were still exhibiting their old lifestyles and had no conviction whatsoever. If we are living in open sin with no conviction, you need to examine yourselves like Paul told the Corinthian church, whether ye be in the faith, because there must be a transformation, must be a transformation. Now, I know that uh, episode two, the propitiation through faith was short, but trust me, there is more to come. This is the end of episode two. So I want you to stand by for an invitation to accept Christ. And my closing remarks. To everyone who hears this message, including those who profess to having accepted Christ, but don't possess his spirit. And to the non-believers who are chasing religion looking for God. Tomorrow is not promised to you. 
Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other way to get to God outside of Christ. There is no back door. I want you to read John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6. All you have to do to secure your salvation in Christ is to say this simple prayer one time and mean it. Father God, I am a sinner in need of salvation. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And because I confessed and believed this in my heart, God, your word says I'm saved. Amen. If you said this simple prayer, my friends, you have just been saved by grace. Yes, it's just that simple. If you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart right now. You now have free access to God. You are a saint, a believer, and most importantly, a child of the Most High God. I encourage you to join a faith-based teaching church. Continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth so you can grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Renew your mind with the Word of God so you can establish a relationship with Him. God wants you to enjoy life, laugh, love, forgive, and treat everyone you encounter with compassion, dignity, and respect. Now stand by for my closing remarks. pray that you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially, because you feel we have been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Now, until next time, Remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.